Friends, it's hard to be a Christian. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. May we see your hard words. May we hear it. May we know it. And may we do it. Bless the hearer and the preacher alike. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One burning hot summer day, I passed a road crew in the Texas panhandle. It was at least 105 degrees and muggy with no breeze to bring relief. The men were dirty, covered in sweat, and pouring and spreading blazing hot, smoky asphalt. What a job, but somebody has to do it. The world needs love, not the cool virtue signaling kind, but the real deal, the love of God. And somebody has to do it, has to do the sweaty, dirty work of spreading that love. What a job, but somebody has to do it. This morning we'll see in Luke the epiphany of love. The epiphany of love. Go to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin there in verse 27. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. This is the first time we've been in this room here, so I don't have a microphone on. Can you guys hear me okay in the back there? Or do I need to up the volume at all? All right. Luke 6, 27. And it says this. But I say to you, who here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now we're following on to the words that Jesus spoke last week. This could be the Sermon on the Mount from a different, different angle. Some have called this the Sermon on the Plain. But we can see that likely it has the same material that Matthew's Gospel presents with the Sermon on the Mount. Now Jesus has just taught how people, the people of God, will be mistreated you remember last week we saw that if you seek to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, if you live your life in a manner for the sake of the Son of Man, then you may be mistreated, you may be hated, you may be excluded, you may be reviled. And our default, our human response to these things is payback, vengeance, or even casual indifference. But Jesus says that we are to love, to do good, to bless and pray for our enemies. What does this mean? Let's continue on here in verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now the application of these commands takes wisdom. They are not to be foolishly or woodenly applied. But first and foremost, we got to see that we live in a way different context than first century Israel. You live in the United States of America. And in some sense, even at this very moment, we are the apex of Christian development, gospel progress, and we are the military economic power of the world. Friends, you are very, very blessed. Now notice here, the one who strikes you on the cheek and the one who steals cannot simply be a criminal. In fact, I want to say this before we jump into the substance of this, of giving freely to those who beg, of giving freely to those who ask. We see here that in the first century, they didn't have what we call the homeless today. If you look at Jesus, he's never dealing with people who have good hands and good feet. He's not dealing with military-aged men who are completely whole. Jesus is always dealing with people who are infirm. They don't have use of their limbs. They're blind, or they're lame, or they can't hear, or they're people who have diseases 
who according to the laws of Israel must stay on the periphery of town. Furthermore, the one who strikes you is not simply a criminal that you're supposed to let them do anything. You see, the Bible always upholds civil rule and laws. If you look at the Old Testament, you see there's all kinds of laws. And we're told in the New Testament to obey the laws and be those who perform the laws of good lands in which we live. And so we see that if you have your family or your property, you've got an opportunity and a duty to protect those things. No, rather, this command goes to those who are under oppressive powers. And I want to say this. If you haven't thought about this, because a lot of times we living in the United States of America, we don't think about the rest of the world. In fact, a lot of times we just read our local newspaper and everything we think about the world happens through the lens of what's going on here in central Texas or whatever city you find yourself in. But we see that oppressive powers over the people of God is the state that most people live in as Christians. Even today, most Christians live under oppressive governments, and they have through the history of the church. Think of the Roman Empire and how oppressive it was. The Islamic Ottoman Empire. The communist Chinese government even of this day. And I want to say this, only a coward or a biblical rube would fail to defend his family or his nation in just war. What is Jesus talking about here? Now, if you look at the Gospel of Matthew and its account of what Jesus says, he says that the one who strikes you on the cheek, you'll notice it's not first with a right hand across your left cheek, but rather it's a backhanded slap across someone's cheek. It's an insult. And it would be the case if you had Roman soldiers walking through our land and ruling over us. The world of the New Testament assumes that the beggar is truly needy and is not an idle scam artist. And I want to say this, a lot of the people we find on our streets today are people that have two good hands, two good feet. In fact, they're very industrious in their begging. Why they don't get work, I don't know. But we see that a lot of people walking through our land today that are living on the streets are those who are living the Tom Sawyer lifestyle. And if you give them money, they will use it on their substance abuse. Or they are those who should be in institutions because they have mental problems. But not saying that there aren't the truly needy. In fact, a lot of times the truly needy in our land, you'll not see them if you're not looking. And we should be those who look for the needy. First and foremost among us as the people of God and those on the outside of the church. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in the same New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we, would not, we gave you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Don't let anyone make you feel guilty for not giving to someone that might actually put them deeper into a hole. But by the same token, that being said, your hands should be open to the truly needy always. Use wisdom, verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now here we see the simplicity and elegance of what's known as the golden rule. And I want to say this to you, brethren. It's such a simple thing, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Keep that in the back of your mind. Use that as a lens to run all decisions through, particularly those that are difficult and complex. Do to others as you would have them do to you. What do you do with the pro-abortion activist who spits on you? The same-sex couple that just moved in across the street. 
the police officer who just cited you for hate speech for quoting the Bible on social media. Do to others as you would have them do to you and use wisdom. But we as Christians are to demonstrate radical, self-sacrificing love, going on to verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Love for those who love you, good to those who do good to you, is just the bare minimum starting point for us as Christians. Christians are to extend extraordinary love and goodness, which takes the gospel and the kingdom into new regions. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now, the interesting thing I want you to notice here is that there's lending going on. Isn't that weird? Now, in the medieval church, they got this idea where Christians could never lend to other Christians, particularly if you're charging interest. It was called usury. And so we see that oftentimes there was no lending going on and that you would give money to somebody and there's no interest charge, so there's, there's no reason for profit engaged in that. And so we see in the medieval church Christians weren't supposed to do that, and so they turned that over to people of other religions, to people like Jews. That's why you have the Merchant of Venice. But the Reformation, I think, got it right. We see that lending was going on in Israel, and so this isn't speaking necessarily of lending between businesses, of commerce, because once that happens, capital's released. All kinds of businesses can start. Often the transaction of a loan, even without interest, has an ulterior motive, payback in some form or another. Now I believe that what Jesus is primarily talking about here, though it has application to business, is you dealing with somebody who's in need. You lending to somebody who is in need. And friends, I want to say this. I said this to my, my son because he's in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps and all the military branches, you always have people that don't spend their checks wisely. They get their first check and they go out and buy a brand new Mustang. And then they come knocking at your door. Hey, bro, can you lend me 100 bucks? If you're going to give money to somebody, expect nothing in return. And if you get something in return, consider it a blessing. But lending with expecting nothing in return is that's how we Christians should deal with those in need. So I want to say this, be wise about it. But if you're going to give, don't expect to get something in return. In fact, oftentimes, maybe you'll get nothing whatsoever. Be prepared, but also be generous. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says this over and over again. Love your enemies. Jesus demonstrates this principle over and over again. Love your enemies. And man, this is hard stuff, but Jesus tells us as the people of God to love our enemies. If you love enemies, do good. Lend freely. Jesus says your reward is great and you act like sons of God. You act like the people of God. You act like those who've been born from on high. For God is kind to the evil and the ungrateful. He is filled with mercy. Now, friends, as Christians, we're always going to have enemies in this age. Kids, 
You're going to have enemies. You're going to have people that don't like your Christian faith. There's going to be people out there that don't like the fact that you read the Bible and you go to church on Sunday. So whether you have enemies or not, but wisdom dictates whether they are great or small enemies, what you are to do. Do you demand justice as a citizen for something that's been done wrong to you? The Apostle Paul did, and that's a good thing. Do you let a slight go, even though you could physically take the other person out? Friends, we're not to be those who immediately strike back in vengeance. We're not to be those who seek to do vigilante justice. Do you unexpectedly bring bagels and coffee over to a group of rabid pro-abortion protesters? We did that in California. It was interesting. We had several hundred people out protesting a Planned Parenthood clinic. And these three workers came out. And they started yelling at us. And we had little kids with us. And they were yelling all kinds of disgusting things and cursing. And we went over and got them bagels and coffee and gave it to them. They were kind of like, uh, uh, uh. They didn't know what to do. And after a little bit, they kind of just wandered back off into their office and disappeared. Sometimes when we extend unexpected kindness, unexpected love to those who do not expect that from us, it takes away their anger. It shows the love of God. Love your enemies because God loves his enemies and he makes some friends. God loves his enemies and he makes them friends. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God loves the world. God came in love to you. He sent his son, his only begotten son, to come and take on human flesh. To be abused in this world. To walk perfectly. And to go to the cross to pay for our sins in love. And to rise from the dead. To demonstrate that love. To give us eternal life and to ascend to the right hand of the Father to extend that love through this age we friends and now family in the family of God and we are to extend that love out to the world through this age God shows us love love for enemies and makes us friends we are to do the same in his name verse 37 judge not and you will not be judged condemn not and you will not be condemned forgive and you will, not, you will be forgiven. This is perhaps one of the most abused and misused verses in Scripture. When people put it on you as a net, when they misinterpret it, they straightjacket you into never calling a sin a sin. Now the context is this. First century Israel. They'd gone into the exile because of idolatry. They'd set up idols all over the land and bowed down to them and broke God's law. They even set up idols in the temple, and God kept warning them through the prophets, telling them to repent, turn back to me, but they would not listen, and so they were sent into exile. And they learned that lesson. You see that in the time of Jesus, there's no idols in the land, no statues people are bowing down to. But what they did, they looked at God's law, and they were so paranoid about breaking God's law, they made new laws on top of that. They kept extending fences out in front of God's law until it became sin and the land was filled with judgment and judgmentalness in a way that was not biblical. And so in the first century, you see people are constantly judging people for things that aren't sins, washing your hands a certain way. Don't touch Gentiles. Don't talk to Gentiles. Don't get near to Gentiles. Keep sinners away. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. 
With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You see, the point is this, hypocrisy. You've got this big bag of sin, or maybe you're committing the same sin, and you look at somebody else doing that sin, or even the same sin you're engaging in, and you say, look at that, you sinner. But this isn't saying you're not supposed to have any kind of judgment. Jesus is going to judge the world on the last day. And guess who's going to be there judging with him? We will be as well. This is not saying that we can't have judgment in the church. If we didn't have judgment in the church, how can we call out sin, even bad sins that would destroy the body, even in the case of excommunication? How do you call out the sins in your own children's lives if you're constantly worried about this? The point is this, not being a hypocrite. Hear the words again of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So what is the point that Jesus is bringing out? I believe it's this. Be frugal with judgment and condemnation and liberal with forgiveness. Let me say that again. Be frugal with judgment and condemnation and liberal with forgiveness. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The pious idea that we give without receiving is limited to the world of men, for God gives abundantly to givers. God blesses those who give. God pours over blessings upon us as we bless others, though we do not deserve it, and yet his mercy extends far and wide. Your labors and goodness are not in vain, and your reward will be pressed down, shaken together, running over, in the age to come, and even now. Brothers Zolt and Geza Pilati were poverty-stricken waifs who made a living selling junk and lived in a cave outside of Budapest, Hungary, when they learned that they had inherited a fortune from a grandmother living in Germany. The brothers were located by charity workers who informed them that they had received a completely gracious and ridiculously generous inheritance of $5.1 billion. Jesus calls us to the difficult task of spreading the love of God through this age. God has shown us unmerited love, and so we are to show love to those who do not merit it, even our enemies. But God rewards his people in a completely gracious and ridiculous and generous way in this age and the next. If you think the inheritance that the Pilati brothers received is something, you ain't seen nothing yet. This morning in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen the epiphany of love. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd bless us, that you would cause us to be wise and to grow in maturity and to be people of love, giving out unexpected unmerited generous love the love that you have shown us we pray that you'd bless us this week to be those who are quick to forgive and those who hold fast and wait long in judgment for we pray this in jesus name amen